Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. This is part seven of a series in which Torje Lopan Dr. Hunlai teaches about the five Buddha families, a tantric organizing principle for understanding our own original wakefulness. Getting to know the five Buddha families can allow us a better understanding and recognition of the nuances and qualities of our own awakened nature, like a colorless light when refracted. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person, or look us up online at UdharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. Page one in the yellow book. <laughs> All mothers, sentient beings, boundless as the sky, especially those enemies who hate me, obstructors who harm me, and those who create obstacles on my path to liberation and omniscience, may they experience happiness and be separated from suffering. I will quickly establish them in the state of the most perfect and precious Buddhahood. All mothers, sentient beings, boundless as the sky, especially those enemies who hate me, obstructors who harm me, and those who create obstacles on my path to liberation and omniscience, may they experience happiness and be separated from suffering. I will quickly establish them in the state of the most perfect and precious Buddhahood. All mothers, sentient beings, boundless as the sky, especially those enemies who hate me, obstructors who harm me, and those who create obstacles on my path to liberation and omniscience, may they experience happiness and be separated from suffering. I will quickly establish them in the state of the most perfect and precious Buddhahood. Thus, until I achieve enlightenment, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. Until death, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. From now until this time tomorrow, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. Page 6. In the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha most excellent, I take refuge until enlightenment is reached. By the merit of generosity and other perfections, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. In the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha most excellent, I take refuge until enlightenment is reached. By the merit of generosity and other perfections, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. In the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha most excellent, I take refuge until enlightenment is reached. By the merit of generosity and other perfections, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. May all mothers, sentient beings, boundless as the sky, have happiness in the causes of happiness. May they be liberated from suffering in the causes of suffering. May they never be separated from the happiness that is free from sorrow. May they rest in equanimity, free from attachments and aversion. May all mothers, sentient beings, countless as the sky, have happiness and the causes of happiness. 
May they be liberated from suffering and the causes of suffering. May they never be separated from the happiness that is free from sorrow. May they rest in equanimity, free from attachment and aversion. May all mothers, sentient beings, boundless as the sky, have happiness and the causes of happiness. May they be liberated from suffering and the causes of suffering. May they never be separated from the happiness that is free from sorrow. May they rest in equanimity, free from attachment and aversion. Page 26. Oh, nine, at the bottom nine. nine. Supreme among humans, charioteer and tamer of beings, the Tathagata who severs the all-enmeshing fetters, who with senses pacified and utterly pacified is skillful. Homage to you who dwelt at Shravasti, the protector who possesses great kindness, the omniscient teacher, the perfect one, the Yodhisus of oceans of merit and qualities. Homage to the Tathagata. Purity, the cause of freedom from attachments, virtue that liberates from the lower realms. This alone is the sublime ultimate reality. Homage to the Dharma that pacifies. Having been liberated, you show the path to liberation. Devoted to the moral precepts, you are a field of perfect qualities. Homage to the sublime Sangha. In all the worlds of the ten directions reside the Tathagatas of the three times. Before each of these lions among humans, I prostrate joyfully with body, speech, and mind. By the powerless aspiration to noble deeds, all conquerors appear vividly in my mind. With as many bodies as there are atoms in all lands, I prostrate to all the conquerors. In each atom are Buddhas numberless as atoms, all in the midst of the heirs of the Buddhas. Thus I conceive of this Dharmadhatu as completely filled with the conquerors in this way. With infinite oceans of praise and oceans of diverse melodies, I sing the excellent qualities of all you conquerors and praise all of you gods of bliss. With the best flowers and best garlands, best music, ointments, and excellent parasols, Finest lamps and superior incense I offer to you, conquerors. With excellent garments and best fragrances and sandalwood powder heaped high as Mount Meru, all wondrous offerings perfectly arranged I offer to you, conquerors. These vast and unequaled offerings to each and every one of the conquerors, with the power of conviction and noble deeds I prostrate and offer to all the conquerors. All the harmful deeds that I have done with my body, speech, and mind, under the power of desire and hatred and ignorance, I confess each and every one of them. I rejoice in all the meritorious deeds of all the conquerors of the ten directions and the heirs of the Buddhas, solitary realizers here still in training and beyond in all migrators. You who are lamps of the world of the ten directions who have attained the Buddha's omniscience through the stages of awakening, all you who are my protectors, please turn the unexcelled wheel of Dharma. With palms together, I earnestly beseech you who may intend to manifest final nirvana. 
Please remain for as many eons as there are atoms in the world for the happiness and well-being of all migrators. Whatever slight virtue I may have gathered through prostrations, offerings, confessions, rejoicing, requesting, and beseeching, I now dedicate to complete awakening. Page 26. Lord Vajradara, Talipa, Naropa, Marpa, Milarepa, Yampopa, Pamajupa, Jitin Sungan, Venerable Root Guru possessing the three kindnesses, Root and Lineage Guru, Zidams and Dharmapalas, pray, please bestow blessings on my mind stream. Unequal refuge ornament of the world, whose renown pervades the three thousand worlds. The undisputed conqueror, Vajradhara, I pay homage to you, the father, Jitin Gompo. You alone are continually on my mind. Compassionate one, please grant your blessings. Dispel the darkness of my mind. Please bless me to realize the mind free from elaborations. Page 30. Home, on the northwest border of the land of Odiana, in the heart of a lotus flower, endowed with the most marvelous attainments, you are renowned as lotus-born, surrounded by many hosts of Dakinis. Following in your footsteps, I pray to you, come inspire me with your blessings. Guru, Bhama, Siddhi, Home. In the Dharmadhatu palace of Akanishta is the essence of the Buddhas of the three times, who directly reveals my mind is Dharmakaya. O Guru, at your feet I supplicate. Page 43. 43. This ground sprinkled with scented waters and strewn with flowers, adorned with the supreme mountain and four continents, I visualize as a Buddha land and offer it. May all migrators experience such a pure land. To the gurus who possess the three kayas, I offer the outer, inner, secret, and thusness offerings. With my body, wealth, and all phenomenal existence, please grant the unsurpassed supreme attainment. Whatever slight virtue I may have gathered through prostrations, offerings, confession, rejoicing, requesting, and beseeching, I now dedicate it all to complete awakening. Om Guru Deva Dakini Atma Mandala Pratija Soha. Please turn the wheel of Dharma of the greater, lesser, and common vehicles in accordance with the dispositions and mental capacities of sentient beings. So this uh, Sunday is the um, completion of the three uh, classes that we're doing uh, on these five Buddha potentialities or more commonly known as the five Buddha families. Um, In the last two Sundays, uh, we have uh, been introduced to kind of the basic kind of a basic understanding of why these, this particular topic of the five Buddha families, how it functions, and where to place uh, this particular teaching within the broader 
uh, body of the Buddha's teachings. Uh, so to reiterate some of those points, so that in case um, this is the first time you are here for this particular series. Uh, so Buddha's teachings uh, can be uh, the many ways of kind of organizing everything that he taught, uh, including everything that is attributed to him. Uh, there are many ways of organizing them. Uh, the predominant way of organizing them uh, in the late Indian Buddhist period, and particularly associated with um, the greatest university uh, and largest of that time in the world, Nalanda University. Uh, the tradition of Nalanda University uh, is to divide Buddha's teachings, uh, one could say, into uh, what's known as the three uh, vehicles. Uh, so there is the lesser or the individual vehicle, the greater or the universal vehicle, and then the indestructible vehicle. So in Sanskrit, Hinayana, Mahayana, and Vajrayana. Now these terms, Hinayana, Mahayana, and Vajrayana, uh, were historical terms that were used by certain Buddhist groups often to refer to, uh, in some cases, people other than themselves. And that's probably when they would use the term followers of the lesser vehicle. <laughs> uh, there weren't quite anyone <coughs> proudly bearing the title uh, followers of the lesser vehicle. So, although there are historical reference, reference to these terms, the way the Nalanda tradition uses it, and then that tradition gets brought to Tibet, and so then the way it is used in Tibet, it is more useful to understand these terms, not as referring to particular Buddhist denominations, but rather to three different modes of approaching the material. And so between the lesser and the greater, uh, what is being emphasized or distinguished between these two sets or these two modes of practicing the Dharma, at the heart of it is um, in the lesser vehicle or the individual vehicle, the focus is on our own condition. <coughs> our own condition of being confused and our own condition of being under the power of that confusion and therefore experiencing all of this as suffering, unsatisfactory, stressful, unease, so on and so forth. And in relation to that then, making a resolve to free ourselves from that tyranny. So if predominantly our focus is on that, then we are practicing the so-called lesser or the individual vehicle, uh, the Hinayana. Mahayana is the great vehicle or the universal vehicle. So in contrast to that, it is on the basis of having seen um, our own confusion and the uh, sufferings and the stress that we experience as a result of that confusion, we somehow 
also develop the capacity to be in other people's shoes, and not just one pair, or two pairs, or three pairs, or four pairs, or five pairs. And sometimes, in relation to one being, there are actually two pairs. And then, with millipedes, there's a lot more pairs, right? <laughs> so, our ability to be in other people's shoes and understanding that um, we are not the only ones in this condition, and a deeper kind of suspicion, perhaps, if not understanding yet, at least the suspicion that. The only meaningful way to speak of being free from confusion and suffering is when all that exists is free from suffering and confusion. That's at the root of this universal or greater vehicle. Sometimes we feel great. Sometimes we feel that we can only handle our own stuff. Uh, then the indestructible vehicle. Uh, there, uh, the focus is not so much on the scope or the capacity of your motivation, right? In the way, in the way that those first two, what is being contrasted is the scope of your capacity. In the third vehicle, the indestructible vehicle, uh, it is said that, um, whereas in the first and the second vehicles. Uh, the view that is taught uh, only partially reveals the reality state in the indestructible vehicle um, the reality state is most directly <coughs> completely and effectively communicated insofar as that reality can be communicated with words and ideas <coughs> and concepts and all of that. Right? That it's the closest that you're going to get you know, on this side of confusion right? to have direct kind of recognition of the reality state. Right? Which in Buddhism is basically sort of the answer that the final fruition is directly perceiving the reality state and therefore destroying confusion completely. So it's indestructible in the sense that no amount of the confusion of our current existence has any power over the wisdom that realizes the reality state. Nothing can destroy it. Uh, temporarily, we have no access to that wisdom, so we are obscured. But that obscuration uh, doesn't change the indestructible nature of that wisdom that is latent in us. And that lies at the heart of Vajrayana. And the five Buddha family um, kind of uh, organizing principle, uh, the five Buddha family rubric, falls squarely under the Vajrayana level of Buddha's teachings. Uh, to practice the Dharma according to the Nalanda tradition and then the <coughs> tradition that was brought to Tibet uh, is to practice all three vehicles. 
not just choose one, is to practice all three. So there, there, there are various ways of expressing how you practice all three, depending on like what you want to emphasize. So if you emphasize in terms of like conduct and appearances, they say then externally, on the external level, maintain scrupulously uh, a um, adherence to the common norms of moral ethical behavior externally uh, on that level uh, we have to observe scrupulously uh, these common uh, something that I guess Dalai Lama would call like you know these universal values that cuts across all any and all religious traditions. So you maintain that. That's the so-called Hinayana level. Mahayana level then is internally the reason you do that, right? It's not so that people won't criticize you. It's not because you're afraid of criticism. It's not because you want to look good in front of other people. It's not because you're trying to curry favor or praise from other people, but motivated by uh, compassion, motivated by what we call bodhicitta, which is uh, the desire to free all beings from suffering. Then they say secretly, which in this case really means on the most essential level, to never lose sight of, uh, again, that reality that we were talking about. Which, in the context of the five Buddha families, is to say, no matter how confused, conflicted, uh, afflicted we are feeling right now, underlying that, are the five Buddha families. So this is a fairly kind of uh, significant shift. So then another way to divide Buddha's teachings is to divide them into what's known as the, the exoteric tradition and the esoteric tradition. Or some other common terms for those of you who are familiar, the Sutrayana and the Mantrayana. The way of sutras and the way of mantras. The vehicle of sutras and the vehicle of mantra. Sometimes it's called the vehicle of characteristics. Sutra. As in, what the focus is there is in understanding the characteristics of all of existence uh, and using concepts uh, to convey uh, the reality state. Then the mantra uh, level, the esoteric as opposed to the exoteric, uh, is the Vajrayana level. Yeah? The Vajrayana level. Sometimes you divide these two. Then in the sutra level understanding, um, 
the focus you could say is on samsara. Where where you start in the sutra in the sutrayana approach is to start where you are. And where you are is it says, well look, you know, look look into your own experience right now. And what are you experiencing? Uh, then we we will see. Then we say, okay, where does that come from? And if you trace, start going back right, and trace it back, then you trace it to uh, the three poisons, right? The uh, ignorance, attachment, and aversion. And then those three, you can trace it back even further to uh, basic unawareness. Right? So in Tibetan, marikpa lack of awareness due to lack of awareness the three poisons uh, arose or due to lack of awareness the basic poison of ignorance arose Uh, due to ignorance then attachment and aversion uh, kind of separates out then you have the three poisons then you have the five afflictive emotions and so on and so forth so that's the sutra approach which is to begin with where you are, where we are. Uh, and in that sense, uh, it doesn't take so much of a leap of faith. <laughs> you, you can kind of see, well, okay, you know, that's where it comes from. Uh, the Vajrayana level says, actually, even more basic than unawareness, Right, remember, unawareness is over here, right? As the, the, the thing that resulted in the three poisons. Unawareness. Vajrayana is, is going to say, awareness is even more basic than unawareness. Rikpa is more basic than Marikpa. Now that takes sort of a leap of faith. <laughs> yeah. So other Buddhists would say, uh-uh, we're not willing to go there. That's asking too much. Asking people to believe too much. They will say, uh, our understanding of the Buddha's teachings is uh, a much more direct, pragmatic thing. None of this, you know, uh, angels dancing in the sky business. They say that's too much. Yeah. <coughs> but of course, you know, again, in the Nalanda tradition, this way of asserting things are accepted to be the final view. That even more basic than unawareness is awareness. Uh, most of you are familiar, so I'll give an example. Most of you are familiar with the so-called uh, wheel of life, wheel of life, yes? Maybe, perhaps? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Uh, it's on the other side of this curtain. In case you're not familiar, you can quickly run over and take a look. Yeah. Good. Yeah, run over and take a look. Um, in most uh, Tibetan Himalayan region monasteries, uh, that's usually painted on the outside of the main temple, on the wall, as you walk in. Uh, it's sort of like a reminder that this is our condition, this is our situation. And then you walk into the temple 
they sort of symbolically, yeah, you, you turn away from samsara. Uh, this is actually not a Tibetan innovation. There are Indian Buddhist texts that talk about mm, the Buddha advising that this diagram be painted outside the monasteries for the instruction of others uh, who might not be you know, literate, but they can look at that and see. And so, so Ashley, what are you seeing um, with the wheel of life? Like the biggest, the most, ob- maybe not so obvious, but uh, so there's the wheel, right? But the wheel is what? Clutched by? <laughs> it's clutched by a creature. <laughs> a creature. So that creature is sometimes uh, identified as uh, the Lord of Death, Yama, and sometimes it's called Time, the Great Consumer. So, in other words, anyone and everyone within this cycle uh, is under the control of the Lord of Death, of change. So there, um, so that is the depiction of samsara. Okay. Now, what is at the the smallest circle, the innermost circle? What are you seeing there? A bird, snake, and pig, possibly. Pig. So there's a pig, a rooster, and a snake. Right. So those are what symbolize. The three poisons. Yeah? So poor pigs symbolizes ignorance. And the rooster symbolizes attachment. And the snake symbolizes aversion. Yeah? So it's saying that this whole of samsara, this whole of confused existence, is centered on these three poisons. So that painting is squarely a sutrayana level of presenting what is it that we have here right now. Uh, I have suggested that we need perhaps to be a little bit more literal in our translation of what that painting is. In Sanskrit, it's called Bhava Chakra. Chakra is circle, or wheel, no? or cycle. In the same way that a mandala also consists of a circle. Bhava can be translated as life, but I think given the semantic field that we have in English for the word life, as in what life means in more than one context, what life implies. Uh, I think the wheel or the circle or the chakra of life is a mistranslation. Um, More accurate, but a little bit klutzy, clumsy, is that a more literal meaning of bhava is becoming. So it's the wheel of becoming. Mm. 
So that conveys better. Because if you say that is the wheel of life, then you know you would say, well, that's a pretty bleak assessment of life. <laughs> Why don't we just all hurl ourselves into the ocean? You know, and then that will be over. <laughs> yeah? The opposite of life, right? So when we say it's the wheel of life and the wheel of life is you know kind of characterized like that, then you know you're almost led to think, well, what's the alternative? You know, let's extinguish life. Right? But it's, that's not what it's saying. Bhava Chakra is saying that as long as we are still in the state of becoming then it's all characterized by the three poisons. And what is this becoming? Becoming, the state of becoming is here, of course, you know, you could put a positive spin to the word becoming, but within this context, becoming is emphasizing the kind of endless, the, the, the endless experience, the endless state of never being. You, you cannot just be. You're, you're always becoming. Yeah? You, you, you're always, you know, like, it's almost like happiness is always deferred. It's always becoming. It's, it's never getting there. Yeah? So you sit here, it's comfortable for a few seconds, then you have to shift. <laughs> right? The left butt cheek is a little bit, you know, sore, so you have to shift to the left, your way, and then left, and then to right, right? These are all becomings. Uh, these are all various types of becomings. Uh, when you have finally achieved whatever you have achieved, you're like, oh, well, that's a downer. <laughs> now I need to go find something else to achieve, right? That's all becoming. Uh, that wonderful meal that you're looking forward to, after that, you know, you're like, well, hmm, how can I get more of it? Right? And then your wish is fulfilled. You get a lot of it. And it's like, uh-oh, now it's painful. How do I get rid of that? Right? Just like on and on and on, that's becoming. Now, can we think of being human and not have becoming? It's possible. So the opposite of bhava chakra is a state of being, not death. If you put life, then the opposite of life is you know the end of life, the wheel of life. No, there is the opposite of the wheel of becoming, which is the mandala of being, the five Buddha families. So it's not a wheel of being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a circle in the sense of a mandala of being, right? Um, and it's, it's ongoing, it's endless, and now this, this kind of endless, right, is a dynamic endlessness. Like, you know, enlightenment with no end. So it's still playing on the notion of a circle, which when we're confused, then it's like a dog chasing its own tail. Uh, but when we are released from confusion, it's like 
this circle that goes larger and larger and larger and larger and expands with no limits. Boundlessness. And so we talk about, uh, especially in Mahamudra or Dzogchen expressions, they talk about how uh, with no center and no periphery. In the mandala that is without center or periphery. Uh, in man- the mandala in Tibetan is actually kilko. Kilko is actually means center and periphery. <laughs> it says, but within the center and periphery that is without center and periphery. You know, this notion of circle that is no longer uh, a dog chasing his own tail. Now, I saw in some places in Bhutan, uh, I've been to central Tibet four or five times, mm, seen a lot of monasteries. Uh, they're all painted this way. But there's a couple of places in Bhutan, very interestingly, <coughs> within the, the Wheel of Becoming. Right? So you, still you have the three animals, right? And what's interesting there is a couple of places only. I took some of the pictures when I was there. In the very center of the three animals, there was something else. Uh, it's the Lord of Compassion. Avalokiteshvara painted right in the center. So that's that's a Vajrayana twist to that picture, and that say actually compassion lies at the heart of this, not confusion. And so then you can play with that idea of you know either we are turning the wheel of confusion, or we turn the wheel of compassion which is the prayer wheels. That's turning the wheel of compassion. If we don't turn the wheel of compassion, (coughs) then we're turning the wheel of confusion. So, in the Vajrayana case, they begin to talk in a kind of an outrageous way. That At the core of this is actually not confusion, more basic than unawareness is awareness. And so then, uh, <coughs> according to Vajrayana, uh, the problem, the problem, capital T, capital P, within the Sutrayana level is said to be. Um, what is the problem in the Sutrayana, general Buddhism? They were just focused on ourselves. Okay. Confusion. So ignorance, confusion, ignorance and confusion in relation to that issue uh, that, that ends up being self-cherishing or self-grasping. And self-cherishing and self-grasping is a, you could say, a a practical expression of something on the philosophical way of expressing that would be what? Narcissism or... Um, how about... That is still kind of like practically then it becomes that, but in, in Buddhist kind of the jargon... Ego? Sorry? The ego? 
Buddhist jargon, self-clinging, and therefore realization of selflessness. Yeah. Not selflessness in the Boy Scout sense, okay? <laughs> but, you know, sort of philosophically, that there is no unchanging self that persists over time. And that uh, the self is always moving, shifting, changing. Right? So they say that in the Sutrayana, uh, samsara is the result of not getting that. Not getting that. Then they say in Vajrayana, it's a more subtle problem. That samsara is the result of ordinariness, they say. Meaning, thinking of yourself as ordinary. And, and here, it's not the ordinary that, you know, say the Zen tradition praises. Yeah, it's not the, that ordinary. Uh, it's not the Mahamudra uh, ordinary mind, it's Buddha mind. Here, ordinariness means, uh, if you want to, if you have to use a different English word, it's what? Boredom or mundane. Mundane. Mundaneness. That actually they say that's a, even a more subtle point. So Vajrayana in a way uh, is more subtle. So first you have to give up uh, mistaken notions of self. They say that's the gross problem. So when we say you practice all three vehicles, remember I said that? And so here also you practice both exoteric and esoteric, indivisible. Sutra, tantra, indivisible. Then what that means is, on the one hand, you have to disabuse yourself of any and all mistaken views about the self. And that gets rid of gross Ignorance. Subtle ignorance can only be rid of when we are done with mundaneness. Thinking that, you know, that we are ordinary. In other words, not recognizing the Buddhists that we are. Now, of course, the danger of um, misrecognizing the Buddhas that we are not is hubris. Hubris. Yeah, but ordinariness is said to be mundaneness. So you have to overthrow the tyranny of mundaneness. <laughs> That's why, you know, Tibetan Buddhism is like Buddhism on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is ordinary. <laughs> the colors, the heads, the legs, the hands, it's all multiple. <laughs> Extraordinaryness. 
I mean, it could be extraordinarily kind of eerie, or you know, <laughs> or extraordinarily weird. <laughs> but you can't, you know, fault it for being ordinary at all. <laughs> Another way to state that is the inconceivable. What is the mundane, what is the ordinary, is to be stuck in the realm of the conceivable and thinking that that is it. Yeah. The inconceivable. It's already hinted at in the Sutrayana level, but not directly kind of exposed. And in Vajrayana, it's, like, it's said to be exposed. And different techniques are used to expose that. Sometimes it's burning dry cat poop. So extraordinary is not just you know, extraordinarily good smelling. <laughs> In certain rituals they say, now you burn some dry cat poop. And swing it around the room. <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, in the midst of cat poop, you know, fumigating the room, and you 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 get Buddha, you know, then you got it, you know. That's different. Yeah. What? Put some in the gallery. Yeah, put some in the gallery. You can bag them up for sale. You know? <laughs> Extraordinary incense. <laughs> yeah, to transcend mundaneness, to transcend just concepts, you know, the inconceivable. Yeah, so Ginnichiva, a modern uh, Tibetan uh, kind of intellectual, uh, he said, um, you know, the reason why Vajrayogini, for example, uh, most of you don't know Vajrayogini, let's see, we have illustrations. Uh, it's not big enough to really see. Uh, Vajrayogini is this kind of semi and mostly naked uh, female figure. Um, and out of her main face, there is a protruding face of a sow sticking out from her right side. Uh, yeah. Uh, she's called like the two faces of reality. And then she has like, you know, in case, you know, the sow face is not disturbing enough, there's like fangs. She has like four fangs, two pointing up, two pointing down. Then yeah, she has the face of a sow and is grunting, <laughs> making that sound. And that and and she's a, a major uh, deity to practice, yeah, to to focus on to develop the sadhana, to identify, you know, with. And so Ganinjapel said, you know, he said. 
what do you think that's about? <laughs> you know? And and that's about the inconceivable. The inconceivable. When was the last time you came across something like that? <laughs> yeah, the inconceivable. And it says, you know, all these, all these images are, are, are to like, you know, snap you out of ordinariness. Of course, in some ways, it's become ordinary for you know many people. Like, oh, yeah, what's your view again? Okay. <laughs> like, what else do we have now? <laughs> Donald Trump to as Buddha. Mm. <laughs> Donald Trump is Buddha. <laughs> if you're a Donald Trump fan, then you can't use Donald Trump. You have to use Hillary Clinton as Buddha. <laughs> And then you are like, well, wait, wait, wait. There's the inconceivable, and then there's the ridiculous. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so this uh, five Buddha family uh, teachings uh, fall under Vajrayana. But it's not as if that it's Vajrayana only, because Vajrayana really can't exist by itself. It, it, okay. Because it's, it's sort of like subverting, in a way, um, certain things taught in the Sutrayana. Yeah? The, the esoteric sometimes is kind of like subverting certain patterns established in the Sutrayana. But it's not like they are opposed. Yeah? It's, it's a certain kind of dynamic being built. Yeah? And when these two come and interact with each other, it produces, you know, it results in a more profound view, a more profound understanding. So that's why there's so much emphasis in the Indo-Tibetan tradition on understanding, you know, kind of more sequentially. Um, now, certainly, this notion of inconceivable and all of that you find across Buddhist traditions, particularly, you know, in the Chan Zen tradition, lots and lots of stories of kind of. Zen masters behaving outrageously or, you know, seemingly like, you know, like meaningless uh, um, encounters and dialogues with their students. Uh, so you find this notion of, you know, the inconceivable uh, being kind of uh, communicated and, and, and exercised within different cultural contexts. Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. 
We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.